Okay, well, hello again, everybody. Welcome to Calvary, where it's our mission to love God, love people, and change the world. And thank you for being here. Uh, if you happen to be on Facebook, now's a good time to just check in on Facebook. Let everybody know that you're beginning the first Sunday of the new year here at church. You can share the live stream, too, to all your friends and family. But we're so glad that you are with us here today. I cannot believe that it is 2022. Okay, even saying that just sounds weird, doesn't it, 2022? In fact, do you realize that we are closer to 2040 than we are to 2000? Right? <laughs> Seriously. We are closer to 2050 than we are to 1990. Now, if that doesn't make you feel old, I'm telling you. Uh, so uh, I cannot believe that it is 2022. And uh, with a new year often comes New Year's resolutions. And so I know that many, many people uh, begin their new year uh, committing to do some things. And so uh, the study by the Barna Group revealed that the top areas in which people make their new resolutions start with 30%. 30% of those who make a new year's resolution do so in the area of diet and health and exercise, 30%. 15% of people make resolutions focused on money, uh, on debt, uh, getting out of debt, other financial goals, about 15% start the new year with that in mind. 13% uh, of people make a resolution related to some sort of personal development. Like, uh, I'm going to be more generous, I'm going to give more, uh, I want to spend more time with family, whatever it might be in their personal life. 12% uh, make a resolution to get free of their addiction, whatever they might be addicted to, alcohol, drugs, cigarettes, uh, pornography, whatever it might be. However, only 5% of people make a New Year's resolution related to something spiritual or related to church. I think that's a, a kind of a low number. And as we begin this New Year's, I, I read that study, I just pray that all of us here today or watching us online or listening on podcast will commit our hearts to get closer to God in 22. That's why we begin the year with 21 days of prayer and fasting. We are intentionally setting aside the, the first two, uh, three weeks set apart in kind of a special spiritual emphasis, consecrating ourselves before a holy God. And there's a man in the Old Testament who set himself apart from culture and set himself apart to God, even when living in a godless society, an unrighteous nation. He lived counter-culture. For the next few weeks, we're going to study and learn from this man. Well, we know him as Daniel. In fact, he wrote that book, the book of Daniel, you'll find in the Old Testament, a very godly man. And he lived counter to the culture in which he lived. Now, about 600 years before Jesus came and did his earthly ministry, 600 B.C., a guy named King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylonia, he entered Jerusalem. He seized uh, the nation of Judah. Judah was the southern part of Israel, and he took some of those people, slaves, some of them captives. The Bible uses this word, exiled. So many of these uh, people from Israel, the Jewish people, were taken as captives. God's people were, uh, were steeped in sin and rebellion, and they rejected God. And so since they rejected God, they had to pay the consequence for their sin. So God handed them over to their enemies, the Babylonians and King Nebuchadnezzar. 
They had to pay the consequence for their apostasy, their, their rejection of truth. And how many of you realize that that's not unique only to Israel? That's going to ha happen to every nation, to every generation. When we reject God as our king, we will pay the consequence for it. And much of our nation has rejected God and his word. You know, we were founded as a nation, one nation under God. But yet so many have walked away from him and walked away from the principles of his word. And unless there's a massive wave of repentance, I'm afraid that God is going to hand us over to our sin just like he did the nation of Israel 600 B.C., and if we bring real, we can probably see that it's happening already. You can just look around at the culture. So Daniel and some of his friends, we're going to meet them in just a few moments. Uh, Bible scholars say that they were probably somewhere between the age of 12 and 20. So some young men, probably some mid to late teen teenagers here. They were taken from Jerusalem, taken captive, taken exile to Babylon. And if you're wondering geographically, well, where is, where is that? That is in modern-day Iraq. So the events of this story that we are going to read today takes place in modern-day Iraq. If you have your Bibles, we're in Daniel chapter 1. We're going to hang out in Daniel a lot for the month of January, and we're going to be in chapter 1 today. In the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim, so he's the king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand along with some of the articles from the temple of God. So King Nebuchadnezzar comes in, takes the king, then actually takes some of the valuable uh, things from the temple and, and takes them back to Babylon. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia. That's some kind of sacrilegious stuff right there, taking stuff that was set apart for God and putting it with the gods of, of Babylon and put in the treasure uh, house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. So, so King Nebuchadnezzar and Ashpenaz, uh, he's kind of his right-hand man. He, he's saying, hey, bring some of these Israelite slaves and servants, and let's see if they can work out here in the king's palace. Young men, without any physical defect, handsome, Believe it or not, that is not describing your pastor here today. It's just, you don't have to laugh quite so hard. Showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. So again, they didn't bring these captives to just work in the fields, farming somewhere. I mean, they, these were going to be in the king's court, in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. Well, you might be thinking, wow, king's food, that sounds, that sounds really good. These guys are going to get to eat what the king eats. Well, the, the king's table, the king's food, was contrary to Jewish dietary laws. In fact, some of the king's food was offered up to these false gods and, and false idols. So this was unclean, unholy food that they were asked to eat. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, and then he lists four names here, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, 
and Azariah. So right away, we see Babylon trying to indoctrinate these young Jewish men in their ways. They, they wanted to change their language. They wanted to change their religion. They wanted to change their literature and change their culture. See, culture has an agenda. If you're taking notes today, you might want to write that down. Number one, culture has an agenda. The enemy... Satan himself will use culture to try to bring about his agenda. Now, his agenda is for you and I, for you and me, to, to kind of forget about God, to get our eyes off of God. He hates and despises any worship to the one true God. So he'll do anything he can to get our eyes, our worship, our focus, our attention off of the one true God and onto ourselves. And one of the ways he does it is by trying to change our identity. So one of the first things that this Ashpenaz guy does, uh, this is the right-hand man of, of the king, is he changes the names of these young Hebrew men. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. So right away, Babylon gave new names to these three guys. Listen, names are important. Who we identify with is very important. Our name, our identity, there, there's something real about it. There, there's some importance that is carried with, with our names and who we identify with it. And, and Satan wants to change our identity. His agenda is to change our identity and to change the source of our identity. Right? The source of our identity is the one true God. He wants the source of our identity, identity to be found in something else. So we have to make a decision. Are we going to let culture name us or are we going to let God name us? Are we going to believe what culture has to say about us or are we going to believe what God has to say about it? Are we going to let culture name us and define us and identify us or are we going to let God name us and identify us? I want to live to what God has to say about me, not what culture. See, culture has an agenda Secondly, culture wants to change our identity. Culture wants you to believe stuff about yourself that's not even true. Some have allowed culture to identify them, to rename them in attempts to fit in or, or to not stick out or be singled out or, or to avoid being branded a loser or a misfit or whatever it might be, we decide to just go along with the crowd, do what everybody else is doing, even if it's in direct opposition to God and his word. We figure, well, I want to be able to, to get along with people. I want to be able to function in society. So I'm just going to do what everybody else is doing. I'm going to believe what everybody else is believing. That's what the devil wants us to do. He wants, he wants to, to convince you that you have to live by the playbook that he has for you instead of the playback that God has for you. So he'll come along and he'll try and change your identity. He will try to change your name. 
Look at what Ashpenaz and Babylon did to these guys' names. Daniel. Okay, Daniel, this young Hebrew young man. Daniel means God is my judge. God is my judge. So his name had attached to it this, uh, this reference to God. He's identifying with Yahweh, the one true God. Well, watch what they do. They, they take God out of the equation and they give him the name Belteshazzar. Belteshazzar is interpreted, Beltus, protect the king. So they've removed Yahweh, the one true God, from Daniel's name. He no longer now has a name that refers to or is identified with the one true God. Now, some researchers tell us that Belteshazzar can also be interpreted, lady, protect the king. Referring to one of their goddesses, Sarpenet. In essence, giving Daniel a female name. Watch this. Pagan, godless cultures, there is always some sort of gender confusion. When we remove God from the equation, when we take him out of our identity, there's going to be some gender confusion. The devil wants to mess with people's sexuality. What is supposed to be sacred and set apart for the Lord, he wants to mess with that. And his ultimate goal is to destroy the family unit. So he will do everything he can to redefine your God-given identity. The parents of the teenagers in this church, in this room, they, they they are telling me that their teenage kids, their teenage sons and daughters, their classmates in the public schools Uh, Half of them, roughly about half of them, are identifying or trying to identify as something other than their orientation given by God at birth. So they're they're now uh, labeling themselves homosexual, bisexual, transsexual, non-binary, I'm not sure all the terms today, trying to change their God-given gender orientation. And I hope that you'll hear me today that gender dysphoria does not come from God. Our God is not a God of confusion. We just need to put that out there on the table. Any confusion that you might be experiencing isn't coming because of God. It's an evil attempt by Satan to rip apart the fabric of your identity to rip apart the the identity that should be found in God. Now also hear this, God loves every single person. You and I are the height, the peak of his creation. Genesis tells us that we are created in the image of God. We are his precious creation. He loves us very much. And so he's grieved when we try to, try to live for ourselves or how culture tells us to live. But it is his will, it is his hope, it's his plan and desire that he would restore every single one of us who have lived in sin, regardless of the nature of that sin. But culture is trying to redefine you and me. Look at how they changed Hananiah's name. Hananiah means God has been gracious. 
Oh, man, that's a good word. Let me just tell you, God has been gracious. What a cool name. Well, the Babylonians, they didn't like that name, so they gave Hananiah the name Shadrach. Command of Aku. Now, Aku is another Babylonian god, a pagan god, someone other than the one true God. Or it's also interpreted, I am fearful of God. So again, they're saying, hey, Shadrach, you're not under the command of God anymore. You're going to be under the command of one of the Babylonian pagan gods. Oh, and also, you should be scared of him anyways. I'm fearful of God. You don't, want to, you don't want to serve him anyways. He makes everybody scared and frightened. You can see what they're trying to do. They're trying to mess up our relationship with God. That's what culture wants to do. Let's look at his, uh, his friend, Mishael. Mishael means who is what God is. Oh, that's a good one. That's just saying there is nobody like our God. He is awesomer than awesome. What an awesome God. Who is what God is? No, Mishael, we're not going to call you that anymore. We're going to call you Meshach. Meshach means I am despised of little account. So it carries with it this kind of low self-esteem. So so he moves from, from confidence to cowardice. Let's look at his friend, Azariah. Azariah, Yahweh has helped me. That's what Azariah means. He's helped me in good times and bad times. Yahweh, the one true God, has helped me. Well, they, they tried to take that, that name away from him too, and they gave him the name Abednego. Abednego is interpreted servant, not of God, servant of Nebo. No, you're not, going to be, you're not going to be under God's control, under God's command. You are now going to be a slave, a servant of Nebo. So notice in these names, they strip any association with the one true God and, and then brand them as now attached to one of their pagan gods. There are forces in the world today that want to rename us. They want to strip us of our God-given identity and give us something that's identified with something else, something unholy, something unclean, something unrighteous. But listen, they might try to do that, but here's the deal. They do not have jurisdiction over your life. They don't have jurisdiction over my life. God is the one who created you and me. And since he's the one that created us, he's the one that gets the naming rights for our lives. See, God owns your naming rights, not Satan. Well, can I say that a little louder? (laughs) God owns your naming rights, not Satan. Now, shout out to Miss Robin back there and doing the slides. Uh, I give her the notes, and uh, Satan was capitalized because it's a proper name. But she's like, hey, Pastor, I don't think Satan deserves a capital capital S. I'm just going to lowercase that S. Good on you, Robin. But listen, God owns your naming rights. He's the one that gets to identify who you are, not Satan. Jesus' work on the cross, when he gave his life for you and I, it settled the debate once and for all as to who we belong to. So when culture shifts, when culture changes, we must know who we are and whose we are. Pastor Jay just mentioned that during our worship set. We need to know who we are and who we belong to. We aren't what culture says we are. 
We are what Hannah's saying. We are a child of God. I am who you say I am. So in the midst of, of all the shifting and changing, we will not be moved. We will not shift. We will not be shaken because our identity is not connected to culture. It's not connected to Babylon. Our identity is connected to Yahweh, the one true most high God. So Babylon, Ashpenaz, old King Nebuchadnezzar, you don't own me. I was bought with a price by Jesus Christ. I am a child of God. That's a good place to say amen, somebody. I'm a child of God. Let's keep reading. Daniel 1, verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself. He had a deep resolution. This young man, he knew he be- who he believed in. Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. I love Daniel's attitude here. He had already pre- predetermined in his heart to stay pure before the Lord. The king's food, the, royals, the royal food, as delicious as it might have been, it went against God's standards for God's people. Culture has an agenda. Culture wants to change our identity. And thirdly, culture wants to compromise our standards. That's one of its goals is to, to get us to compromise our God-given standards. And listen, culture is just going to keep coming at us. The, pre- they're gonna, the, the pressure is just going to keep coming. And, and they'll say, hey, come on, man. You can bend a little here. You can bend a little there. It's all right. I mean, do you, do you really think that God expects you to hold fast to the standards of this ancient document? I don't know. Listen, God's standards is the same today as it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 200 years ago, 2,000 years ago. He has not changed, nor has the standards or principles in his word changed. And I hope that we can understand here today that it's for our good. He's not some mean bully upstairs, okay? The the standards that he has prescribed in his word are for our good. He's not trying to play some games with us and see how miserable he can make our lives. It's actually the opposite. There There is such safety and freedom when we walk in the ways of the Lord. And we set ourselves up for his blessing and his favor in our lives. A life that follows Jesus, a life that follows God and his word is the most fulfilling and satisfying life that there can be. So when culture tries to get us to compromise, and it will, we must not. We need to reaffirm our convictions and not compromise our standards. Let's see what happens next with Daniel. Verse 9. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. Talking about Ashpenaz here. But the official told Daniel... Hey, man, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. If we go through with what you're proposing here, I'm afraid he's going to kill me. It's going to be my head. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants. Just test us for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Daniel asked 
Ashpenaz. He said, would you just test us? Test me, test my friends. And look, living in Babylon, it's gonna have its share of tests that we are going to face. We're gonna read many tests that Daniel and his friends had to take. We see this one here. In a few weeks, we might look at, at the test with Daniel in the lion's den when Coulter tried to tell Daniel, don't you pray to the one true God, only pray to the king. There's another test that we'll look at next week and the fiery furnace. Coulter said, you need to bow down to the image of King Nebuchadnezzar. And the three Hebrew boys said, hey, we, we want to treat you with kindness, but, but we're not going to do that. The tests just keep coming. And every time they, they came, Daniel and his three friends, they lived counter to what the culture was trying to tell them to do. But listen, the, the, the tests are going to come. For us here in America, most of us Bible-believing, God-fearing, Christ followers, we haven't been tested much lately. But then, you know, over the last 5, 10, 20 years, it's gotten a little bit hotter, right? The testing has started to increase year by year, and I don't anticipate 22 letting up at all and the amount of tests that we are going to have to face. Daniel said, please test us for 10 days then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance, in, in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. Culture will test our faith and then culture will create a confrontation. Culture has an agenda. It wants to change our identity. It wants to compromise our standards. And culture will create confrontation. We don't have to go looking for confrontation anymore. Culture is bringing the confrontation to our feet. And many of you are feeling it right now. We are feeling it in, in the media and politicians. We're, we're feeling confrontation with some of the mandates. Some of you are feeling confrontation at the workplace. Some of you are, are facing confrontation at school. Some of you in your relationships at home or with your neighbors or, or family members, whoever it might be, the confrontation is coming whether we ask for it or not. And when it comes, it can either weaken us or it can strengthen us. And listen, God, he's given us free will. And so he allows these trials and these tests to come our way. Sometimes I wish he would remove them uh, for us. But, but actually, James, the half-brother of Jesus, said, count it all joy when you go through these tests. Culture is going to create confrontation, and how we respond is so very important. When we feel the squeeze from culture, we need to make sure that we respond in a manner that is lovely and kind, that honors God and, and treats people the way that we want to be treated. We should definitely have a, a holy disdain for sin and unrighteousness. However, that doesn't mean that we have to be ugly to people. It doesn't mean that we now get to treat you like dirt. That's not what that means. Daniel was so good at this. Daniel was masterful at, at staying holy before a holy God while being kind to the culture around him. 
He never compromised his standards, and yet he was still kind to the Babylonians. So what does that look like for us today? The way we respond to these tests and confrontations is so important. It's important, first of all, to our relationship with God, but it's also important to our relationship with other people. It affects the way others may or may not come to worship and know the God that we claim to follow and know and love and serve. So while we must be confident in biblical principles, we must be sure what is right and have a clear understanding of what is wrong, we can't, however, express it with hate. God has not called us to do that. Some people who land on the correct side of an issue, they, ran, they, they, they land on the correct side of righteousness, they do so in a way that turns people off. The need to be right is more important for some people than cultivating a relationship with that person who needs Jesus. They have an attitude, well, I'm right, you're wrong, and you're on your way to hell until you see it my way. That's their attitude. And listen, I can't think of one instance, one example, where hating someone led them to Jesus. Can you? Can you think of, in your life, in the scripture, I can't think of one instance where hating on someone led them to Jesus. God called us to love people. He put the golden rule in place for a reason. Treat others the way you want to be treated. But some of us are so concerned about declaring our rightness on every single issue. Now, there's another group of people, too, that have really, really lowered the bar. Okay, they'll, they'll say, you know what? God loves everyone. Let's just let everybody in. No need to change. No need to align with God and his word. There's some people that are more concerned about being culturally relevant than biblically relevant. We were never given the power to move God's word, to shift God's truth, to make it fit our lifestyle, our beliefs, our behavior. That's not how this works. I know you love them. We should. We are called to love them. But loving them doesn't mean that we get to redefine the truth. I know that is hard because many of you have loved ones in your life and you're trying to navigate this. And in the name of love, you, you just want to kind of bend the rules a little bit, compromise scripture just a little bit. We have to find that balance of truth and love. Pastor Chris Hodges in his book, The Daniel Dilemma, which uh, I've been reading that book in preparation for this series today. Uh, the subtitle of his book says this, stand firm and love well in a culture of compromise. It's not either or, it's both and. You can stand firm and love well. You can love someone and still stand firm in your convictions. Now I know in a room this size, we've got people from, from uh, both sides of the political aisle. We've got many political persuasions represented here today or watching us online. By the way, we should do our best to elect officials, to elect uh, leaders and politicians. We should elect them who hold fast uh, to the truth of God's word. 
Okay, we don't take our biblical hat off when we go into the voting booth, right? <laughs> but we believe in a biblical worldview, and that shapes every, every part of our life, even the way that we vote. So I am tired of the way that, that culture and media keeps labeling us and dividing us as a people, as a church. And their agenda, they, they want us to turn on one another. They want there to be kind of some infighting. So, so they'll slap labels on us. Right wing, left wing, liberal, conservative, pro-vax, anti-vax, pro-mask, anti-mask, and on and on. I mean, we could, we could come up with hundreds if not thousands of categories that they keep trying to, to, to shove us into. Culture has divided us into so many categories and we have to be careful not to fall for it. By the way, the only categories that God is concerned about, he's not concerned if there's an R or D in front of your name. The only, the only category he's concerned about, are, are you pursuing a holy life set apart for Jesus or not? Th those are the categories that you and I should be worried about more than anything. Jesus is returning for a bride. I believe it's gonna be very soon, but he's returning for a bride who should not be fussing and fighting with one another. He expects us to live with love and harmony and unity and righteousness. We're not gonna agree on every little issue. That's just not possible. I mean, what's that saying? Opinions are like armpits, right? Most of us have more than one and they stink, right? That's not in my notes, I probably shouldn't. But we're not going to agree on everything. Even my own wife and I, we don't agree on every single issue. Now, I'm, uh, pray for me. I'm trying to get her, get her there on some things. But uh, we're not going to agree on every little issue. But we are called to love one another. When we disagree with political leaders uh, and their decisions, their beliefs, uh, their leadership, their morals, whatever it is, it's going to present to us a test. How are we going to respond to the way that they are leading how are we going to respond? And uh, let me just be careful here. We cannot go around cussing about the president. Okay? I don't care if his, if his name has a D in front of it, Democrat, or an R. I don't care if it's Trump. I don't care if it's Biden. I say this as a pastor who wants God's best for you. Do you hear me today? Okay, listen. The phrase, let's go, Brandon should give you pause. Now, if you don't know what let's go Brandon means, uh, you can look it up or ask, ask someone. Uh, by the way, good on you if you don't know what that means. It means you have the news off. <laughs> but uh, uh, let's go Brandon is a derogatory phrase uh, aimed at, at our president, and it uses uh, a vulgar word without using that vulgar word. And listen, if you and I are living in the spirit in submission, in accordance to the Spirit, there should be a check in our spirit when something like that comes out of our mouth. Well, I thought Jesus got upset at political leaders, like Herod. He did. He got mad. But listen, there's a right way to handle it, and there's a wrong way to handle it. Using ungodly, unholy language is unbecoming to a follower of Jesus. We are called to a higher level. Amen, somebody? We are called to righteousness. We are called to pray for those in authority. If you get aggravated with a political leader, 
which, come on, all of us can raise our hands on that one. When that happens, we are to pray for them. If we see that they are out of alignment with God's word, and certainly most of them are, instead of using vulgar language, let's lift them up in prayer. Or maybe God's nudging you out of your seat and he wants you to run for political office. If so, you know, we might vote for you, right? (laughs) You and I are going to be tested. And the way we respond is so very important. It will either weaken us or it will strengthen us. It will either help our witness to others or it will harm our witness with others. But listen, we need to find this balance of truth and love, standing firm and loving well. You doing okay today? Okay, I know this is, this is a tough one. I'm preaching to me first. All right, verse 15. At the end of the 10 days, they looked, talking about Daniel and his three buddies, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. How cool is that? So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and he found none equal. No one could match the level. These three Hebrew boys, these, the, the four Hebrew boys that had brought from, from Jerusalem, he found none equal to them, to, to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. They now had an audience with King Nebuchadnezzar in the king's court. They passed the test. They passed the test that that culture presented to them. Daniel and his friends, they had this amazing ability to stand firm in their faith, their convictions, their standards, as well as influence their godless culture. It was truth and love. They did such a great job at this. You know who else did a great job at this? Jesus. During his 33 years here on the earth, Jesus was total perfection. He was completely sinless. He was completely righteous. He lived on this earth completely holy, completely perfect. He loved the prostitutes. He loved the tax collectors who were seen as scum, by the way. He loved, he loved the scoundrels. He loved the misfits, the sinners, the unrighteous. Loved all of them. And not once did he ever compromise his beliefs. He never compromised who he was or what the word of God stood for, yet he still made people feel loved. If you read your soap yesterday, January 1, we were in John chapter 1. Verse 17 reads this, the word, talking about Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Hmm. Jesus is full. He is full of grace and he is full of truth. 
Okay, that's cool, but what do you, what do you mean by truth? What, does, what do you really mean by truth here? Truth, you can write this down, truth is God's standards. It's something that he has put in place. It lasts forever. It's eternal. Culture might change. Culture might shift. Try to redefine what truth is, and it certainly has. But God's truth is eternal and everlasting. That's what truth is. Truth is God's standard. Well, what about grace? Grace is God's favor. How many of you know, if you're like me, we need God's favor? Man, I, on my own, I am, I, am, I am terrible. I am lost. I need help. I need rescue. But thanks to God's grace, thanks to his favor, he died on the cross for us to give us his grace. Even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's his grace. Nothing else that we can do can make us holy enough to enter the presence of the Father. There's not enough scripture that you can memorize. There's not enough Hail Marys that you can pray. There's not enough good deeds that you can do. You can't be baptized enough to earn salvation. It's God's grace, it's his favor. Now, let me show you a couple things about truth and grace. Without truth, we are corrupt. Remember, truth is God's standards. Without truth, we're just left to our own corruption, our own wickedness and sinfulness. Without grace, we are condemned. Without truth, we are corrupt. Without grace, we are condemned. We need both. We need the truth to, 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 to come to the realization of what God's standard is, but we also need grace. Otherwise, we're doomed. We're condemned. Without truth, we become worldly. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> without, without truth, we become more and more like culture. We behave like the world. We act like the world. We talk like the world. We think like the world. Without truth, we become like the world that's around us. Without grace, ooh, these slides are going fast. Without grace, we become judgmental. Hmm. Now, some of us in this room, we, we've known the truth. We've known it for a long time. And we've let what, we, what we're witnessing around us cause our hearts to become hard. And over time, we've become judgmental. We referred to it just earlier in the message. You know, we're so concerned about being right on every issue that we kind of leave grace in the back seat. It's truth and grace. Without grace, we become judgmental. Let me show you one more thing. Grace invites us to be free. Isn't that cool? Grace invites us to be free. What Jesus did for us on the cross, he's invited everybody to come and meet him. Everybody to, to come know salvation and redemption. Everybody to be set free from your sin. It's his amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Saved a wretch like you and me. Once we were lost, now we're found. Once we were blind, now we see. Grace invites us to be free. I'm so thankful for his invitation. Come and be free. Thanks to God's grace. However, truth sets us free. Grace gives the invitation. 
Truth is what sets us free. Come on, Jesus said, I believe it's in in John somewhere, he said, you need to know my teachings, know the truth, and when you know the truth, it will, you know what it is, set you free. It's truth and grace. Man, Daniel did such a great job of this, of balancing both truth and grace. He lived counter to the culture that was around him. It was a a godless, unholy, unrighteous culture, but yet he never compromised God's truth. He he was able to influence those that were around him. It was incredible. So for us here in 2022, as we begin this new year, we live in a godless culture. There's no doubt about it. We live in a culture that is far from God. And so the attempts for us to to try to force us to compromise our convictions are very real. You can experience that. We're, We're going to experience that this year. The attempts to rename us and redefine us are certain this coming year. But if we'll be like Daniel, if we will predetermine in our hearts that we are going to do this God's way, not the world's way, not culture's way. We are going to live this life God's way. We will see him do incredible things in us and through us for the glory of God. Amen, everybody? Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God praise in the house today. I'm, I just want to invite you right there in your seat. Bow your heads, close your eyes. If you're watching us online, would you do the same? Just take a moment and let the Spirit of God speak to you right now. Holy Spirit, what are you asking of me today? I want you to let the Spirit and the Word cleanse you today. I wonder, maybe, maybe you've been on the fence with this whole culture and God thing. Maybe you've bought some of the lies from the enemy. And you haven't been, you haven't been truly living in accordance to God's Word. I'm just going to ask you to, to make a decision to get off the fence. Let's be all in for Jesus. That's you today. Why don't you just recommit your life to him? You know, maybe you've been living in a way and you've let culture define you. Your identity has been wrapped up in in what culture has to say about you. Listen, you are not what culture says you are. There is a greater purpose in your life. Jesus has called you to something more. You are who God says you are. So right now, why don't you just invite Jesus to come be the Lord of your life, surrender to him. Lord, I repent of my sin. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin and giving me new life from this day forward. I'm gonna live for you. Thank you, Jesus. And for some of you here today, you know truth. But maybe like what we said earlier, you've kind of put grace in the back seat. And you realize that you've been living a little more judgmental. Why don't you just let the Holy Spirit soften your heart? You know that you and I aren't, aren't to hate anybody. God has not called us to hate people. We can hate sin. We can hate the devil. We can hate the enemy. But we are, we're not supposed to hate people. Well, Scripture says that we don't fight. We don't wrestle against people. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. That's what Scripture says. Our fight is is something greater. It's in the spiritual realm. Our fight is against the the powers of darkness. It's against Satan and his, his legion of demons. 
So Lord, I pray that you would forgive us when we have seen people as our enemy. People are not our enemy. Lord, help us to see people the way you see them, created in your image with a plan and a purpose. Every single one that you created is a son, is a daughter of the Most High God. Now listen, if, if you're determined to live counter to the culture, if you're determined to be like Daniel and, and, and not let culture define you and name you and let God define you and name, would you just join me in standing all around this room? If that's you and you're like, I want to live counter to the culture around me, would you just join me on your feet today, this morning? Come on, I, I want to be like Daniel. Even in Babylon, I want to be sold out for Jesus. Come on, even in a culture that rejects Jesus, I want to be sold out for him. Amen, somebody? I mean, we're not going to let culture define us. We're not going to let the enemy define us. We're not even going to let our past define us. We are who God says we are, and we're going to build our lives on Jesus Christ. Amen, everybody? Come on, let's sing out together. I will build my life. And I will build.